This is efficiency on demand. On demand. High performance. Human optimization. Human optimization. People think hectic, craziness, no time, no fun. Just work, work, work. work, work. work. Perform, perform. Harder, harder. Push, push. Machines, high pressure, no time. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and human optimization specialist. During the show, Monique and her guest will talk about all things time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless this is efficiency on demand and this is your host monique welcome back to efficiency on demand today i have one of my favorite business friends buddies woman i don't have another name right now i'm not very creative this morning (laughs) but we met when we, so we're in a business community, I think is the right word, together. And we met on one of our big conferences last year in October, I want to say. And we immediately hit it off. I think if we both were lesbian, that would be, that would be a thing. <laughs> Let me just say that. But definitely, we hit it right off. We definitely get along super well. And ever since we're in contact, we're chatting all the time. And if there were no time zones and definitely not daylight saving in the US, we would, or all over the world, we would definitely be chatting way more, I guess. So please help me welcome Anna Scarabina. It's Scherbina, by the way. (laughs) You're good. You're good. Don't worry. Yes, it's hard to pronounce. It's actually Scherbina. Oh, is it? Yeah. So I don't pronounce the H after the S. No, it's like a then, sh. So Sherbina. It's Sherbina. literally just like sh. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. I nobody knows. I tried. I had uh, I had Mia from uh, oh I'm not gonna say what country, but it is an Eastern European country. Macedonia. As well. Macedonia. You think right? so? Yeah. If sure. you, are you talking about the Mia who's like model slash? etc no no mia is a fail coach then she's not from macedonia <laughs> it's also a man oh <laughs> well then we're definitely talking about different mias <laughs> yeah absolutely so mia has a has a super Miha, i thought mia Miha. sorry yeah. that's uh that's that goes on me my bet <laughs> so from the from the word mikhail Maybe. Because Micha, Mikhail, which means Michael. He might have just told you Micha. That's cool. I've never heard anybody use Micha for Mikhail. Yeah, he only uses Micha, so. That's so interesting. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so his surname is also obviously Eastern European. But apparently, holy cow, uh, apparently I was the first one to pronounce it correctly. So I was celebrating that. Anyway, so well, this didn't go well with your name. I'm so sorry about it. You can you can try it again if you'd like. No, let's. Sure. 
You're like, no, I don't want to even try it. Okay, you could just cut it at Anna. I'm here with Anna. Cut off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did say it, but you're good. You're good. So please tell everyone first, what are you doing? Where are you from? And who are you? All right. So my name is Anna and I am from Ukraine originally. I currently am, I've actually been traveling for the past two years, two and a half, I would say now actually. And I am in Mexico at the moment. I run a remote agency. It is specifically helping online businesses hire remote teams all over the world. So it is a bit of a mix between like a standard recruitment agency and kind of like a headhunter approach, but specifically for online businesses, which makes it extremely unique. And I think we've really haven't found that many competitors. So what we're doing, we believe is like a niche within a niche. <laughs> you can call, call it like that. Yeah. That's a little bit about me. I love that. And I love, um, so we've been working together for one of my clients as well. And that went really, really well. Um, so they're super happy and they're onboarding now and all the time things. So tell us a little bit about the process. How do you go about, you know, finding remote teams, especially if they're spread all over the world with all the specific type of, can I say, conditions that they want people to mm -hmm. bring to the table? It's such a unique process, in my personal opinion, uh, when it comes to recruitment. And the way that we go about it is also so unique. So if you actually look at recruitment agencies, most recruitment agencies hire depending on location, right? So let's say you're in the United States, they're going to help you in the United States, you know, hire within the United States for in-office businesses or if you're or in a specific state even. Uh, recruitment agencies in Asia, like or Southeast Asia, hiring specifically for Southeast Asia. Um, there's, there's very specific types and usually they're very location-based. So even the ones that are or region-based. So it's very complicated or difficult, I would even say, to have those agencies that are there to help with remote. Like, what does it mean to hire remotely? There's definitely job boards out there that, you know, you can post a job and you can find somebody there, but you have to do the process yourself. There are a few companies and maybe a, even a few job boards that have tried to kind of do what we do in terms of providing a, like an interesting approach. So for example, a really cool company, hopefully I can mention this, but a really cool company called TopTal they provide the top 5% of like IT specialists, which is like project managers and et cetera. And there are companies like that for different areas. So nice. maybe they don't do it by region or country, but they'll do it by the type of candidate that you're looking for. So they're only going to help you. They're only filtering the IT candidates. And so that way they have a controlled amount of specific type of positions and they're able to filter those positions or you have it the other way around where for operations or marketing so they're really focusing on specifics and usually they're also specific about regions or there are certain regions that they're targeting more than others now what's really cool about what we do is we're really going into the details and we create the role from scratch and then we have a very interesting approach to how we go about finding those candidates so we actually have a vision or discovery phase. We call it like there's a vision form, but we call it the discovery phase, which pretty much means we really go deep into understanding the role. A lot of agencies will be like, oh, you need a marketing manager? Okay, just shoot over your job description. We'll get it done. But in the online space, remote hire, a marketing manager could mean so many different things. Their background, their skill level, their personality, what are they looking, what company are they looking to grow in? What kind of skills are they looking to develop? Or what are their goals? And will this company be able to like, what is the company providing? And it will, 
Will it fulfill the goals of that candidate? And so there's so many aspects to what the company needs as well as what a company can provide, especially when it comes to a remote. And then they're like, okay, we need in this particular time zone. But a lot of the times if they're thinking, oh, we need somebody from North America or in the North American time zone, they forget, well, Latin America, Central America, there's all these other ones in a similar time zone. And I actually have a recent hire from the Bahamas and she's amazing. And obviously it's a lot easier than hiring from the US for like a very like a hiring coordinator position. So it's a very unique process where we we try to really understand all the requirements that go into what exactly do you need? What background do you need? What are the requirements? What are you providing? What time zone do you need this person in? And sometimes they might say, actually, we do need it from an Asian time zone, or we do need it in the European time zone. And then I challenge them, if you need it in your European time zone, there's many people from Africa. And nobody considers even Africa, for example. So there's all these little hidden treasure troves, I'd say, of locations that people never really think about when they're looking at time zones. But we try to say, okay, but what time zone do you need it in rather than country? And then we can see what other countries fit those time zones. And we definitely know which countries to look out for, of course. But we are always so surprised. We found amazing people from Chile and Argentina, which is places usually you wouldn't hire from. We had a girl, where was she from? Like Angola, I believe, or something like that. Like just the most randomest places and brilliant, amazing, hardworking individuals looking for opportunities. So what we do is we fully try to understand. And then we have certain, what we've done is we figured out which job boards and which locations we can actually go to, to find those specific people. So for example, we're looking at two factors for the most part, the type of candidates. So obviously, is it a manager? Is it a VA role? Whatever it is the type of candidate, like the type of role, and also the time zone. And based on those criteria, we're actually able to pick where we're going to find those people. So we have different job boards and locations for finding it. And you'll actually be very, very surprised to find out that sometimes you will find the best people where you least expect it. Like we had found like gems of locations that nobody could have, like when I tell people, they're like, what? (laughs) And so the approach that we take is quite unique. The whole thing takes about, I'd say, four four to six weeks, depending on the complexity of the position, from the discovery phase to creating the actual funnel. So we have about five, five steps, I would say, in the funnel that they have to go through before they even get to interview. So we have a very interesting quantified system in place to actually check their skill level, their personality, like, are they going to be a good personality culture fit? They're always like their experience. So we're actually looking at experience, skill level, and personality fit. And we have like a way to quantify each of those and be able to see how well they fit in. Then we're testing them obviously on their skills. So we might have a test project, we might have some kind of case study that they build out. So it's a very interactive system that they're going through. And it really filters so many people and we're able to find absolutely the best dedicated candidates. Because at the end of the day, we're looking for those that are going to stick around. So if they're going to be able to go through the funnel, we're only going to get the best coming out with the best experience. And then obviously there's interviews and selection. So that takes anywhere between yeah four to six weeks in total. I love that. And having seen like that thing at work, that made it really, really interesting. And to be fair, I definitely haven't seen any other agency that indeed goes so deep into understanding as well the uh, company needs and the business owners and the team culture and it's so 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 important I know that we've specifically talked about like values and uh, team culture all over the world and everything 
What do you think, how can you in this process kind of go into evaluating the values from the people who are applying? And do they actually apply themselves or, or do you headhunt most of the people into the funnel? How does it work? That's actually a great question. I'll answer your second question first and then your first question, if I remember it by the time I get through the first and second question. So in terms of how we find them, one of the most amazing things that people don't realize and entrepreneurs and business owners and even HR specialists, a lot of people will post a job where they think that's the best place. And yes, people do apply. But will the best people apply? That is my question. <laughs> so the actual job boards or locations where we're finding candidates are also the same locations where we can invite candidates. And that's something that we're really, really picky about. Most job boards, and I don't think people notice this, don't give you access to their database. Like I'll say this again, you don't get access to the database. So you're paying for the few candidates that might see your job or they might or might or not, might not. And so what we do is we have those locations where we know we can actively invite candidates to apply. And the thing is, we're going out and we have a list of criteria. So the team, they know those criteria. They've watched the video with the entrepreneur or the business owner. They understand the culture fit that we're looking for, the type of person we're looking for. And so what happens is hundreds of candidates are actively invited into that funnel. What's really funny is that most HR specialists do this via LinkedIn. And it's extremely, and this is going to be so surprising. I don't know why it's so surprising, but it really is for most people. LinkedIn doesn't work for remote positions. <laughs> like mind blown, but it doesn't work. It is a horrible, horrible place to find for remote candidates. So we actually have absolutely different locations that are amazing candidates actively looking for roles. You can see who's actually available. You can look at their great, like not the, just a resume, but what they've done already. What are their um, various skills or requirements? And then once they fit about 80% of what we're looking for, we're going to go ahead and invite them. If they're interested in the role, they're going to start going to the funnel. But we're very upfront about the fact that there's at least five steps in our process. And so they know from day one, that there's a process. And if they don't want to go through it, we're not interested no matter how qualified they are. Yeah. So that's the answer to your second question. The first question, what was the first question? I told you <laughs> I forget this. <laughs> so um, how can you evaluate what values they bring to the table so that this is a good fit as well? So in terms of values, I'd actually even pull that back a little bit and say personality culture fit, right? Because that's kind of where the foundation is of what you're looking for. Um, and there's a few factors. We actually, the people that are involved in the recruitment process for every employer, the people, all the people that are involved, no matter what process they're in, because there's people evaluating, people doing interviews, the different people in our team, we want everyone to know what kind, who is the employer. What is he looking for? And usually even watching a video of that initial conversation during discovery phase, they have an understanding of, oh, like, and even the person that we both know um, and have that in common, like just watching him talk, watching him interact when we had that first discovery phase conversation for the role, they're like, oh, this makes so much sense. Now we know who would and would not be a good fit. And one of the things we ask for are actually videos. So it's a great way to actually see how would those two different characters play together. And it's important to know who will be the manager, who will be leading that person and seeing how well will they, those personalities work together. So that's something we're looking for. But honestly, I think the biggest thing that really shows is, are they going through the funnel? 
we're looking for dedication, right? We're looking for somebody that is really interested and invested. And if from day one, they're saying, oh, let's just get on a call, just do an interview. That doesn't show me that you're invested. That shows me you're a freelancer looking for more clients. We're looking for some people that are going to be there for people who are interested for the long run, that are interested really in the position and getting that role. How committed are they? How dedicated are they? We're looking at their responses. So we have usually a questionnaire and we're looking, how are they responding to the different questions? And a lot of the questions that we put together, they're not straightforward. They're not, oh, do you enjoy learning? <laughs> they're, oh, let us know what are your favorite books? Like what's something that has inspired you? And we see what, what comes out of that. Because sometimes people say, oh, I actually have no time right now for books and podcasts. Whereas other people give us humongous lists of all these different things that they're really passionate about. And they even explain why. So we actually get to see glimpses of people's character and personality come in from their communication style, how quickly they're responding, how they're responding to those different things. Are they providing full answers or is it just a yes, no? So things like that. We have little tells here and there that we've now picked up and we have a list and saying, these are the things we're looking for. How well are they communicating or portraying those personality traits? And those things will change. If you look at the developer we're not looking for them to have like writing us paragraphs. Yes, no answers are fine because we know that's the personality. They're efficient and that personality matches those replies. So depending on the, like, the position we're looking for, we're looking also at those answers um, in different, from different perspectives as well. It's a very interesting approach. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how you got into that because I think it's not the most... Uh, as you say, you barely have competitors, so it's not the first business that someone would pick to start. The first thing I want to say is that really is going to, like the main answer here is I didn't pick the business, the business picked me. It sounds crazy, but that's literally what happened. My background has been in operations and recruitment. I've been in it for the past eight years, I would say through management and through leading different kinds of organizations and from running job fairs and for, for recruiting in places like Hyatt and Hilton and like the Middle East to um, providing opportunities to work on farms in Australia. Like I've done it all. <laughs> when it comes to recruitment, I've been, I've done all kinds of recruitment for all kinds of programs in all kinds of locations. So I had this very interesting background of being able to hire for all kinds of programs all over the world. And then when I moved into the remote space, actually just a few years ago, I was able to really combine this international experience of recruiting, what it means to recruit in-house, but for different countries with different mentalities, right? Connecting people from different cultures, bringing that element of understanding to the online space. And I feel that that really brought a really new perspective. And also coming from Ukraine, but also being raised in the United States, again, bringing completely a Western and Eastern culture together. So having those different perspectives, recruitment has always come very naturally for me just because of the way that I have been brought up and the cultures I've been exposed to. And so when, when that has now moved into hiring internationally and now working, like being able to do that online, it was quite easy to transition into that. Absolutely. And the thing is, what happened is I started working for all these different companies and doing operations. I ran operations for quite a few different companies in the remote space. And it was all Anna, always Anna, can you help with recruitment? I'm like, yeah, of course. I've done this before. This is my background. Okay. 
And then the next, oh, Anna, we heard you did great recruitment for this person. Can you actually help? And so then all of a sudden, I've been recommended to do this for another business owner. And then all of a sudden, somebody else hears about it. And it kind of started snowballing. I never chose to be in recruitment, even when I back then, when I started off, when I was like, not even 18, let's just say that many years ago. Yeah, I started off completely in a different in a different world where I, I came in just looking for a job and I just thought it just was there. Recruitment always chose me for some reason. <laughs> and so, yeah, in the I would say in the past two years, what happened was the first year people came to me, I was recommended, it was word of mouth. And it got to the point where I was like, I can't do this alone. I was, the, the system was so intricate. There were so many moving parts. Plus I was obviously running operations for another business at this time. So I was consulting and running a business or doing ops, I would say more specifically. It, it just turned into something that continuously kept growing. And I said, okay, this, I need to register this as a business. I need to get people on board. Let's make this happen. And that's exactly what I did. I registered the business, which took a little bit more than expected. I did that in Estonia. Turned out great, by the way. Love being the e-resident of Estonia. They take care of everything. So I can just focus on, on the service uh, on the service that we provide. And then I started building out the team. And the, it just grew. It just snowballed. And people kept coming. The last year, we had so many clients coming in. And it was completely word of mouth. People were just happy. And my the thing is, my background has always been in service businesses. I grew up, literally grew up in service businesses. My mom has always been in service businesses. Like it's just something I've naturally grown up with. So I understand what it means to have this like wonderful customer experience. I'm passionate about customer experience as a person who experiences uh, different services as well. So I always understand what it feels like, how I want people to experience it. I know I've been in their shoes and we've, what we've done is we've always tried to improve on that. So the system that I started with, the system we have now is absolutely completely different. We're optimized. We've automated. We've created, we've come every time we have a new client, we're improving something. We're tweaking something. We're adding something. We're trying something because we always want to create the ultimate experience for people that are, have, are experience, like that are trying our product or using um, the service. We want people to have the best experience. And so now when we're doing testimonials and I get to hear things like, I felt like we like my, my hand was held throughout the entire time, or thank you so much for really walking me through this. I would have never been able to do this alone. That really touched my heart because that's what we're trying to do here. It's not just, oh, here you go. Here's a hire. Here's some CVs. No, we walk through the entire process with the employers and the entrepreneurs and the business owners we work with. We're passionate about really connecting wonderful business owners that are really doing something in this space, really creating impact in different ways with their businesses, with people that are looking for full-time careers. A lot of, a lot of, there's a misconception in the remote space that people are just freelancers, that they just want to, you know, solopreneurs, but there's a lot of people out there that want a stable job and a stable salary. And we're passionate about that. And that passion, it translate in, translates into the work that we do on a daily basis. So yeah, it kind of just fell on my lap in a way. And now we're growing and it's still still continuing. We're now obviously doing other things in marketing, but overall we're still pretty much running on word of mouth till a big part of it because people really love what we do. I love that so much. It's um it's amazing. And uh, you can see not only the passion when you're speaking now, but also when we met for the first time, it just naturally comes with you and like the passion always shows like you know 
it's not that you're trying to sell anyone your services. It's really that, that you just want them to know what's the best way for them to actually hire their their perfect, talented next employee, or even if it's just a contract or however that looks like for them, right? So absolutely. I really love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, that's something I've realized as well is, I've always said this to so many entrepreneurs that I've spoken with. I I, I say like, you don't have to hire me, just do it right. <laughs> yes. Like, you want to do it yourself, just do it right. Don't, if you're going to hire new employees, in, it's like bringing, I always say this, and this sounds so funny, this analogy, but it's like bringing children into your home. Yeah. They need to be disciplined. They need to be taken care of. They need to be appreciated when they're doing a great job. And they also need to be told when they're breaking the rules that that's not okay. There are boundaries in any home and there should be also those healthy boundaries, no matter who you hire or bring to your business, there needs to be those boundaries in a business. And it's like, don't pay me, don't hire me, but do it right. Like I'll walk you through it. I'll tell you exactly how to hire. I'll even, I've done this before. I even do, do like consultation. Sometimes I stay on with business owners to help them with some of the onboarding because they haven't really experienced that. Usually there's this, a lot of times entrepreneurs start, it's just a few VAs and themselves, but as they start growing, if the business is doing really well and they hit this ceiling where all of a sudden, you know, there's so many entry-level employees, it's one of them. And it's like, something has to budge, something has to move, something has to change. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they need people that they can count on in a more impactful way. And that's where problems usually set in. How do you get an operations manager? How do you trust an operations manager <laughs> like with your business? What if they steal your idea? <laughs> you know, like yeah. no, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's the truth. Yeah. Letting go is so hard for so many Dang. business owners. I think it's the 100%. especially for entrepreneurs, it's like the hardest to let go of anything, whether that is of your baby basically you know to let someone else help you with all of the things or letting go of the guilt that you don't work at the weekends anymore or letting go of the fear that entrepreneur like that other employees or entrepreneurs that come into your business now maybe to help you and support you do things differently but get the same outcome it's really as we talked about the onboarding, that's something that I create with my um, clients as well, you know, processes, workflow systems, all those kind of things for sure. And one thing that's really impressive to me is always that people think that the way they do things is the only way they get to an outcome. So that when they hire people, I mean, creating workflows is obviously really, really helpful, but they can get really stuck in the details um, of how people do things. So there's letting go of expectations as well. It's like a really, really big thing for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. It's a very difficult, but I look at it as a mom having a kid, right? You have a kid, you just gave birth to it. You went through all of that pain of like, like all that, that growth and that, but it is true. That's how it is. It's you've worked so hard 
and you had to go through so much trouble and pain and happiness and sorrow and emotions and you've had this child and you're going through all of this growth with this child and there's so many needs that it has there's so much and all of a sudden you you understand that you're falling apart you no longer can provide for this child in the it needs support in other ways that you can no longer provide because you need sleep and you also need to eat and rest and all of that and then having, bringing, thinking about the analogy of bringing a nanny or letting your, your mom do it or a family member, a friend, whatever it is, think about how scary that is. You went through all of that, all those experiences that people don't understand. And you care for something so, so, so deeply that you think that there's no possible way that another person can care about it as deeply. Now, obviously, having a business is not like having a baby and it's very different. But if you think about it, it's so hard for entrepreneurs because they've gone, they've sweated their, you know, through, they've gained money and lost money and gained money and lost money. They had to give up jobs probably, and maybe had to give up so much to get where they needed to be. They, you know, lost sleep and nights and weekends and friends. And, and then all of a sudden someone's telling them, Oh, actually you're going to hire somebody and they're going to do it for you. Like those aspects and like, well, no, no, I don't think they can. There's a lot of fear because like, it, it's not just the belief. It's not that, oh, they can't do it. Cause they see, logically speaking, they see that that person's qualified, but that aspect of letting go of something that you're so emotionally tied into, because that is what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs when they're building a business on their own for so long. And I think I kind of, I got, I was very lucky to actually been able to get the help within a short period of time. I was able to do it within six months of like working with entrepreneurs. I brought somebody on and though it's been, it was hard to let go. I feel like I was lucky because it was, I was only really doing it for like six months. And also because I've seen entrepreneurs, my background's operations. So I've been telling entrepreneurs for so long and business owners, let go, let go, delegate, delegate, delegate. And I'm like, I need to take my own advice. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's painful. But I know that if I want what's best for the business, that's sometimes not me. And I think that was the biggest revelation that a lot of entrepreneurs really miss and they spend years really trying to get there. Cool. And I feel really lucky to be able to have done that after six months. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dive a little bit into your story. You said you're born in the Ukraine and you've been also raised in the US. So how did you experience growing up? Did you grow up in the Ukraine at all? Yeah, so I was in Ukraine from, so I was born there. And then we lived there until I was around five-ish, I'd mm -hmm. say. And then from five to 14, we moved to the United States. We lived there for nine years. My um, dad was actually working in IT company. So he was a programmer back in 1999. <laughs> So he's like Love one of the it. smartest people, smartest people I know. And he, so yeah, we moved to the United States. We lived there for about nine years. And then when I was 14, we had to move back to Ukraine. Now that for a teenager is very traumatic. And obviously there's so much to that moving to a country. It's not moving to a first world country. It's moving to, I don't want to say third world country because it's no longer that it is a lot better. There's so much more available. Obviously it's a lot more developed in a lot of ways. It's a developing country, I'd say, but it definitely was a step back from growing up in a house with a car and, you know, lots of space and materialism, the work, the world of materialism, you go into like now like less, 
you don't have enough, you know, you don't, you can't eat all the things you want to eat. You can't really do all the things you want to do. There was a lot of fear around me being able to go out because I didn't speak the language very well. So all of a sudden there was all these boundaries and limits where I, in the States, I was able to walk home from school and I was just able to take transport and I was able to like be free to hang out with my friends and go out. All of a sudden there was all these boundaries because obviously my parents were very worried and concerned that I didn't, I was in a place that I wasn't aware very good with the language. I mean, I spoke the language, I understood it, but it was a very big challenge for me because I didn't, my language skills were not <laughs> to part just, just then at that point when we moved there. And so then I had to be, yeah, I, I, it was a really hard time. I actually had a year where like a gap year when I was, I think 16 or 15, where I didn't go to school at all because I dropped out of, they tried to put me in like a Russian school. I just couldn't, a Ukrainian school, which is even worse than a Russian school, I would say. A Ukrainian school, because the national language of Ukraine is Ukrainian. But because I'm from a city called Dnipro, which is the Eastern part of Ukraine, that means my city is mostly Russian speaking. Right. And the East part of Ukraine is Russian speaking, but the official language of schools and the government and all the official tests are all in Ukrainian. And so put me in a classroom of people <laughs> and teachers where I had to go in over and over and I had to speak Ukrainian. And I'm just like, I, you know, I can't write. I can't read. I'm supposed to be in like ninth or 10th grade and I can't write. I can't read. I'm being humiliated every single time. I lasted about a week. And I quit. I quit school. I can't do this. So I took a gap year. And then afterwards, we found another, we, we got like, got me into like a music college. So my background's actually, I'm a vocalist. I started um, opera and then jazz alongside piano and other things. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but in Ukraine, what happens is you can actually do, finish your schooling while going to a music college. So it's like an associate degree. So two years of like high school with music classes and then two years of your associate degree. So it's a very interesting approach to schooling, I guess. But it, they obviously focus more on the musical aspects than the actual and proper education. So I, I felt like, yeah, I wasn't really able to yeah, let's just say my education didn't finish as well as started. I was like a straight A. I went from being a straight A student, literally got like the presidential award or whatever in middle school, went from that to having like really shitty grades, not being able to even like properly go to college or afford college. Obviously, we didn't have the finances to get me into English school or into an English speaking college. And then I couldn't go to college in Ukraine either because obviously I didn't know the language very just. I never grew up with Ukrainian. I, it's like trying to go to college in a whole different language you've never you've never learned or heard of, or and then all of a sudden you have to know history and uh, math and and all of this in the language that you just like no idea. <laughs> like so, I was actually stuck between two worlds. It's yeah. absolutely like feeling like you're in limbo, which which is a, is something that I I'm not sure how many people I know a lot of people move to the United States from being in Russia or Ukraine, but having to go back from the States and try to grow up in that kind of atmosphere. I think back then I was very bitter and angry about that situation because I felt like I was dealt a really bad hand for some reason. And there's a, a still working through obviously those emotional, yeah, those, I think it's trauma to some degree because you, you have these dreams and hopes. I wanted to go to Harvard, you know, kids, whatever. I loved school. I loved going to school. So I had all these dreams going to college and all these amazing things. And I felt like betrayed. I felt like that was taken away from me. But like looking back at it now, I wouldn't be where I am today 
or even going where I want to be going in my life today without that experience, without those hardships and growth and conflicts of multiple cultures literally just exploding in my brain has literally brought me to the point where I am so able to very easily relate to people of from anywhere because I have an understanding of what that means coming from so many like different absolutely different cultures I can understand and be able to read people and be more empathic and be more understanding and I think that definitely comes from being bicultural in a way Mm. Yeah. yeah. So what year were you born? Uh, 1994. So I'm turning oh. 26 in a month, actually. Exactly in a month. Yay! Yeah, exactly in a month. April, April 9th. I'm turning uh, nice. 26. 26, right? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you were so you were quite late. Did you get any did you feel still any of the Chernobyl backlash by then? I'd say no. So it was actually interesting because my parents grew up in the Soviet Union. So I got to listen to all these amazing stories that seem right now, if you think about it, because my my family is actually, my parents are very young. So my mom is 44, actually. uh, And my dad is 48, turning 48 this month. But they, being so young, I had stories from them of them growing up in the Soviet Union. Because it yeah. only split in 1991, which means it only split three years after, like, this is like 30 years ago. There's literally just, you know, it's not something that's very far off. And Crazy, I grew right? up with these stories. But we moved to the U.S. when I was five. So I actually missed so much. And that's the thing. In the U.S., I was Ukrainian. But in Ukraine, I was like American because I never grew up with the same songs and jokes and stories and references and idioms and all these like cultural nuances that a child usually grows up in. And I'm just like, I grew up on like Teletubbies and Fairly Odd Parents and Scooby Doo. I'm like, I don't know any of these things that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yeah, so it's definitely, but no, I'd say I've never. It's actually really funny. Most foreigners that come to Ukraine want to go to Chernobyl. Most Ukrainians don't go to Chernobyl. <laughs> it's I mean, not a thing. I've never been to Chernobyl. Yeah. I don't really want to go to Chernobyl, to be completely honest. It was a humongous tragedy for yeah. the country. And of course, it has its weight in history. And it's definitely something to remember. I feel, uh, there's, I'm not taking away from that. But it is like, it is where people, it's a tragic event. Um, so and the fact that people are so touristy about it, it's like oh let's go see where this nuclear thing exploded like uh, I don't look at it that way because going back to Ukraine I definitely my health drastically drastically um felt like went really badly I got very sick very quickly and yeah it drastically deteriorated and I got very sick within a year of being in Ukraine, I got all kinds of sickness and it was really bad because even in the city that I grew up, like in Ukraine and Dnipro, there's a lot of factories. Yeah. It's like a very factory kind of, yeah, I'm not sure what it's like industrial city. Uh-huh. Um, and so you get the fumes, you get like all of that. And so I, my parents now like have a lot of health issues. Um, I had a lot of health issues living there. You, you still there's still repercussions of like 
all the pollution and even with Chernobyl, like you still get that. Like it's still there. <laughs> That's how yeah. crazy it is. Like people are still affected. There's so many people with skin issues. Uh, Ukraine is hugely impacted with like there's cancer. It, it's crazy amounts of people are still dealing with so much cancer. My uncle died of cancer. Cancer is it's just because still from Chernobyl and from the fact because the Ukraine was used in a very industrial way by the Soviet Union. And so it's like, there's all these repercussions still happening uh, for the people still living there. So. Yeah. I mean, it had a really big impact on, I mean, I would say all over Europe. Yeah, absolutely. It had a big impact on my life too. I was born in 86. So my kidneys and my nervous system got cracked my mom got contaminated during her pregnancy and wow. i mean we are from east germany so the east german government didn't quite give enough information of what actually happened there so there's a yeah that's a that's a huge thing but it's really interesting that you say about this whole tourism like how would you call it it's like uh, there's a word for it but anyways I'm a little bit torn apart, but I kind of feel the same way about all people going to the old concentration camps. Yeah. And I mean, I I tell the story sometimes in one-on-one conversations because many people don't believe that this actually happened. But in school, we in Germany, I don't know. I honestly don't know if that's in every school. German school but at least in my school that was a thing so we go through history lessons for years and years and years as every other school but in our in Germany they make sure that you understand everything about the German history especially around Hitler and the second world war and what leads up to it the repercussion afterwards and they make sure that at least once in these five years of history lessons, you feel guilty about it. Like, that's for sure. And so I'm okay with that because I totally understand. I was not personally there and I didn't have any, I didn't have any personal impact on what happened. But I also understand feeling guilty in a, in a little way kind of helps to not make this happen again. Now, the problem is when I was uh, 12, I think. So I think we were like around 12 and there is a, a concentration camp really close to where I live. It's called Perna Sonnenstein. It's not the most famous one and that's a good thing, but it's really, it's like 20 minutes from where I live uh, or where I come from. I don't live there anymore. So we went there with our, with our class And so this this is crazy still when I explain that. But basically what happened is that the guide and our teacher got us in one of the old gas chambers and basically locked the doors and made us understand how it kind of felt like for people to be in there. And <laughs> I know you should see Anna's face now. And so basically what happened was they... So we were we were about like 25 children, right? Like all about 12 years old. And this room is obviously like super damp and dark and small. But then the guide explained like, uh, imagine there are 100 people in here. Usually 
like you know he talks like as if it was still happening and we were all like oh my god and by this time i must say i was i was already pretty emotionally cold like you know the um due to how i was raised and also with all of my diseases there was there was not much emotions that i was going through it was either happy or angry and so this didn't hit much on me to be honest so i was making a few jokes about how hopefully they don't turn on the gas right now and obviously that's i, I mean i was 12 please forgive me so what happened is they indeed turn on some kind of valve that kind of blew air in obviously no gas nothing But it sound it just sounded like air coming oh into the room. Gosh. And I mean it was hard like looking back now, I don't know what made me not being worried. Maybe I'm I was just too rational and logical about that they obviously wouldn't put gas in this room. They would obviously not like but it was just looking back like we had one girl that almost fainted and she got so scared and panicked that they had to open the room and got her out uh, but he just explained he wanted us to kind of feel for the people and i'm just looking back now i think like that was the, the most horrendous thing they could have done to kind of put us through that at yeah that time, at that time well, i thought I like that was a great history lesson <laughs> but Yeah, I think that it's important to continue teaching kids history and understanding that mm. because that way you you learn where we come from and I do think that there is certain there's an impact that that has of course on a kid if they're able to see that in real life. So I don't know if you guys went to the the wall, right? Um but things like yeah. that you get to really experience and you get to see like obviously i my childhood was in boston so we got to walk on the um the freedom trail and we got to go to see the gravestones of very like founding fathers and we got to see where the uh the boston tea party happened and it was just yes those were very pivotal points in history and i think it's really good to still be able to see that and experience that but it shouldn't come from a place of of fear it's like this is something that is already huge to put on children i believe mm. and again i wasn't i think that's something else that i think i struggle with in ukraine is because there's all of these things all this suffering that um the country has gone through and it's still feeling like that so it's still continuing on it's still part of that culture and that mindset that i feel like be a lot of people felt very disconnected with me because i didn't grow up with that i didn't grow up with feeling this like you said you got grew up feeling like you already somebody put a backpack on you and said you have to carry the load of your people or the past you know people the mistakes of the past are on you which is unfair right because it's like it x amount of years ago that wasn't even germany and x amount of years ago it was part of an empire you know it's so it's like that's not your responsibility. Yes, I believe it's important to be educated and know about that history, especially mm. where you're from because it is an interesting and not interesting, but you learn from past mistakes, right? History just the way that we run businesses, we consistently get to learn. There's a mistake, we learn it. Sometimes we learn from our own mistakes, sometimes we learn from other people's mistakes. And the same thing happens is it's like, yes, we get to learn where we're from and the mistakes of the, that country and what they did, but putting that as a burden on the shoulders of the current generation, I feel is so and that happens everywhere. 
I feel like it happens, you know, in the United States with obviously we know of slavery that how, and there's still so much conflict around racism. Um, if you think about it, how many years have gone by and it's still a major issue in the United States, same thing in Ukraine, same thing in Germany. It's just that that weight is passed on and the aggression is passed on, the anger is passed on, the sorrow that is passed on, this responsibility that, in my opinion, we are responsible for learning and from learning from those mistakes. But should we really be responsible for the mistakes themselves? I don't think so. Um, and I think that a lot of that culture, it just in my personal opinion, is passed on in such a way where people feel like, oh, it is my duty to mm. do this. But it's like, learn from it, grow from it, evolve, but don't like carry this as stones on your back. And I yeah. think I, I've heard that story, not that particular that gruesome story, but I've heard a lot of people growing up in Germany where that is why if you actually go to the, I just recently was in Germany and a friend of mine who is German said, get ready. They're quite, what's that word? I have a Russian word in mind, but like, they're not going to smile a lot. They're quite like straightforward. It's just like a really tough culture. But of course, because that's the upgrade, even though the youth, if you look at it, that's the way they're being up. There's an upbringing, right? That mentality of this is what you have to carry. And everyone's like, holy shit, this is what I have to carry for my entire life, the knowledge of this whole past, you know? And, and it feels like it does hold some people back, not everybody, but it does create this, like it affects the current culture. The same thing is all over the post-Soviet countries. Everybody has this, even the young people have this burden of, oh, my mother was in the Soviet Union and the mother obviously taught their kids with the mentality of the Soviet Union, how you're supposed to, you know, hold on to every penny. Like my entire family, not entire family, my parents are obviously a bit more modern, but like an example of that is, oh, you can't spend money. You have to keep every dime, but you, but without investing money, you, you can't earn money either. Right. So that, that, but the mentality is you have to save because what if, you know, all of a sudden there is no money nowhere. So it's like the, these, these cultural norms of the past and these burdens and these, these lessons that are no longer should be even applied are put on the youth of our generation. And it doesn't hold everybody back, but it definitely holds a lot of countries back and the youth of those countries, in my personal opinion. <laughs> Rant yeah. over. <laughs> no, I totally, I love it and I understand it. It's like, I wonder how, like, I mean, education is such a foundational and very essential part also in how we grow up. And when I talk to American friends, there is a huge difference in the education, especially in the historical part between like Germany, how they work through their former mistakes and also in America, how they work through their former mistakes or not. And so the question is, I don't know, what would be a good solution? I don't think, you know, putting kids through a, con a former concentration camp visit is <laughs> Probably the way, not to, go. The best way um, to go. And I, I also must say, like, I did have friends that also visited uh, concentration camps in school, but none of them had any close encounters with the gas chambers like we did. So I guess it was yes. just a, a very passionate a tour guide. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my personal opinions here is just in terms of education, is that education is very much evolving in our current society. 
Um, if you look at it now, there's just so many alternative education. Like I no longer believe in modern education and modern as in the current schooling system of most countries, because yeah. I got to experience that. I got to experience that as an A student. I got to experience that as an F student. I got to experience that in the first world country, AKA I got to, you know, experience or so-called a quote unquote first world country. And then I got to experience that in a third world country. And I can tell you that you know, looking back, obviously, when you're a kid, you're not really thinking about it. You're like, this is the system I have to survive in this system. But the system creates a certain pattern. In my opinion, as I'm growing up, I realized that I continue to live my life based on the pattern that those patterns that I had as a kid in an educational system. But what happens is life doesn't work the way that school works. And so what it, it's just a, such an interesting concept that the way that we grow up, and the system that we grow up in no longer is efficient for, for living in re the real world. It doesn't work. Nobody teaches us soft skills or communication skills. They teach us math that we, for the most part we never use. Um, I mean, we need math, but like it's, there's so many aspects of math, for example, that we learned that is so impractical. Um, and so, yes, I do, from one perspective, they're teaching you to be quick on your feet and to learn quickly and to adjust to new material. So, yes, there are aspects to that. And there's reasons for learning massive amounts of information that you'll probably never use. There is some thinking behind that. But overall, you're gr you grow up and growing up, you're being molded literally in a system that no longer works. If you take actual... Uh, like high society back 200 years ago, 200, 250 years ago, you know, if you look at like, in, you know, UK, England, you're going to see that a lot of people were actually homeschooled. So yeah. the children, if you look at that, the children that actually were from very influential society, like, you know, influential parts of society, they had tutors, individual approach, specific classes and lessons that's why a lot of people are going to homeschooling because the standard system, it doesn't accommodate to actual real life. It doesn't teach you what you actually need. Like so many soft skills that you need in real life and people suffer every single day because they don't have that those soft skills. Thank God for the internet <laughs> because now we're I'm able to self-educate. But if you look at back to it, most like a lot of people don't have those skills. They don't know even how to find the answer to those problems. You don't know what you don't know. So if you grew up in a system like that and you actually don't learn those skills, how do you survive in the current society? We are in a way, you know, I don't want to go this far because, you know, who knows, but like in a way programmed by the society we live in to act in a specific role, to be in a specific layer of society. And the people who are the troublemakers and they get the bad grades and they don't care about the system, those are the people who come out really successful because they realize at a very young age, this is broken and I will not follow this system. 100%. Yeah, right? and totally agree. I, I can't imagine, I cannot even imagine if I ever have kids, I would never put them in a regular public school or even a private school. If we're doing schooling, the schooling is build your business when you're like, you know, learn to build a business Five. when you're 10 years old. Five, 10. No, but it's not just that. There's so many methods of modern education from homeschooling to different types of education that, I mean, yeah. there's some even alternative education I've heard of that it's the craziest thing, even for me. And I can go far. <laughs> but yes, we need to fight for that. I truly yeah. believe that we need to fight for a modern education that's different from what we have right now. 100%. So we're kind of approaching the end of the podcast already, but I do have two more questions that kind of don't fit in right now, but it doesn't matter because I asked them everyone. So what does efficiency mean to you? 
That's such a great question. I'm going to be honest about this. Please. <laughs> Say that when I worked for companies and still help companies and operations, I'm very efficient and I keep people very efficient when it comes to accountability and when it comes to creating a system and putting a system in place. I'm very passionate about those things because it is a side of me that I have cultivated and I have like a muscle, right? It's like something that you practice and it becomes very strong. But as an entrepreneur, I am completely the opposite of that. I'm going to be completely honest here. It's very hard to admit, but I am, when it comes to being an entrepreneur and a visionary, we all know that visionary just is chaos a lot of the times. And that is what I feel as an owner, um, which is why I've surrounded myself with people who are way more efficient than I am, because definitely I have a hard time doing that. I have a hard time creating a system, but also bringing in information into the system. So it's, there always has to be a yin and yang and in business that really is, however you want to fulfill that, there has to be someone or, or multiple people who they're playing that visionary, they're bringing the ideas or strategy, whatever you want to call it. And then you have that other side of it, where it's the integrators, the implementers, the people who are creating those systems and able to implement those systems. And that is the reason why so there's so many coaches and so many people helping and courses even on processes and systems because for entrepreneurs, it's a big challenge. And I can say even as a person with eight years experience in operations, I still struggle <laughs> as a visionary when I'm playing that role, when I put on that hat of leading a company, I'm just sparks and ideas and all over the place because that's what makes it successful. That I play a specific part that does make a business successful. You need that. People who are just about efficiency, and I know you're going to hate me for this, but people who are just on the efficiency, they're sometimes not able to get out of their boundaries of, you know, sometimes you do have to go crazy and brainstorm and, and just, just get it all out onto a piece of paper and it makes no sense. But then all of a sudden, you know, it starts making sense. And so what efficiency means to me when I'm in operations is a few things and I'm happy to do that, but I just, I wanted to make sure I got that piece out there. When I'm doing operations, and I always try to tell my operations self, my you know integrator, implementer self always says, Anna, to the visionary self, <laughs> please listen. And it's so hard. <laughs> but as an implementer, the things that really create an efficient system is one, you need 100%. You need a system, like a project management system. And I've been so passionate about a system called Notion recently. Not recently, the last like, year, I'd say year and a half. I love Notion. I'm passionate about Notion. It's very, for visionaries, it's perfect because you can mold it into whatever you want. You can play with it. There's colors, there's emojis. It's, it's so much fun. And I love that for creative people. So one, a project management system. Two, a system to keep people, people and processes accountable to certain like KPIs, certain deliverables for the week, for the month. And there has to be those for the team. There has to be those for individuals. That is something very hard to do at the very beginning when you're, again, as a visionary and you're trying to do this alone, it's hard to be the one implementing on some of those ideas and stuff and also the person keeping everyone accountable. So I always yeah. say, find somebody, whether that's going to be your VA or you, you know, your partner, doesn't matter. Find somebody who can keep that balance for you, the yin to your yang situation. I found that. I'm so lucky to have an amazing team who is like, on, literally always says, Anna, you're fired in this particular section. <laughs> like, you are no longer responsible for this. You're no longer doing the PL. You're no longer keeping this person accountable. You're no longer doing this. I'm like, 
okay. <laughs> and that's, you need people who are able to stand up and say, this is not working. You need to do your, you know, chaos and crazy and ideas and brainstorm and talking to people. And we have to make sure that we'll keep you accountable. Even you sometimes need people to keep you accountable as well. So yep. the second thing is, whether you're doing it or other people are doing it, there has to be some system to keep people accountable and processes accountable. I always love what Google says is everything has to be data-driven, right? Data, 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 KPIs, goal setting, very specific goal setting. Not We're going to get more leads. We're going to get five leads at the end of the month. These are the three ways how we're going to do it, right? So very specifically. And then the last thing in terms of efficiency, I, I'm so like, I'm extremely passionate about a team because I truly believe that the reason that I got to be efficient in my business, mm. optimized, automated is with a team. People really like a lot of people, whether they're really creative or they're really structured, forget that teams play a huge part in actually what efficiency stands for because you surround yourself with people who are your pillars and they are able, you're rocks that you can lean on for different areas of the business. Surround yourself with people who are better than you at what you need them to be, whether that's marketing, whether that's management. In my situation, I needed help in operations. And that's hard because my background's in operations. I needed to understand I can't do that. I can't be the yin to my own yang. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's just how it is. So team creates efficiency the right team the people that you can lead like people say a players i just say find the team that you can lean on your foundation the people who believe in what you're doing and are passionate but you are also taking care of them obviously take care of the team the team takes care of the business i take care of them they care for the processes and systems and all of that yeah 100 i totally love that and i think many people don't really understand or like to hear that that they cannot be both in their own businesses. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> but they definitely should be having either the visionary counterpart or the integrating counterpart, no matter how that will look like. If that's going to be a coach or, you know, like however that looks like. But um, yeah, you definitely need that counterpart. You You just can't be both. It's a... You probably have to be both in the beginning until you're at a certain growth level, but from there... Yeah, you can definitely start there. It's just that it's never going to be... You're always going to hit a ceiling. Yes. And every time I hit a ceiling, I ask myself, wait, I need to stop and think about... Instead of hitting that ceiling over and over again, you yeah. know that phrase, fool me once, shame yeah. on you, fool me twice, shame on me. So if I hit myself once because there was a wall, I didn't see it. If I hit myself twice, that's on me. I saw the wall. I knew it was coming. <laughs> like, Yeah, 100%. All right. So second uh, question is then, looking back now, if you would have to start all over again, doesn't matter if it's the same business or anything else, which of the three things that you've done have been so successful that you would be doing them over and over again to get where you are now again? You know, if I knew, because I feel like I'm growing every day and I'm re like learning that 
I've always been the one to support a team. So learning that a team can support me has been a revelation <laughs> on its own, which is funny because when you're on the other side of the, you know, the room or the whatever, you never really notice it. Um, you don't think about it. Well, if I was in that position, would a team support me? You don't really think about it that from that perspective. And I've learned that people have really changed my life when it comes to running a business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget that. They remember systems and processes and marketing and find your niche and do the keyword research and write the articles. <laughs> but but people, that's the thing. I've gotten customers because of people, because of networking and communities. I was able to be able to expand and, and grow the business to where it is and be able to have more clients because of the people I brought on on my team. So people in the team, I've been able to grow my own skills and learn because of the people in my life. I've been able to bring value to different people in communities and uh, networks and social media that I've never heard and seen of, but I was able to bring value and receive that kind of value. And also, again, they have been guiding me or have they become clients or whatever it is. And so in my entire journey, and I wish I was able to really learn, kind of understand that sooner, that people are the key to success. Mm. You know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that has been such something that I have, it's been reinforced every single day in my life that people are the ones who are pushing me and getting me to where I want to go. And I would never have done it unless I've said, I need help, whether that's my business or network, whatever, I need help. So anyways, people (laughs) is the answer to that. I love that. That's why we go together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Last one before we wrap up, please tell everyone where they can find you and what they can find there. Yeah, for sure. So if you're interested in learning more about what I do in the business, you can find that on letsremotivate.com. If you're looking to learn a little bit more about me and my background, you can find that on LinkedIn. My name is Anna Shervina. Anna is spelled with double N and my last name is S-H-C-H-E-R-B-Y-N-A. We'll probably be included in the description. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. So LinkedIn is a great place for that um, and for reaching out to me, of course. Amazing. I'm going to try it again. Anna Shervina. Yay! You got it! (laughs) Okay. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing all of your insights, your amazing story, and just bringing all of your wonderful, wonderful energy and passion to Efficiency on Demand. And if you have not yet subscribed, you know what to do. Find the button and do it right now. And look into the show notes for all of the links where to find Anna and myself. And uh, I guess I wish everyone a wonderful day or night or whatever it is that you're going to celebrate now. Let's just celebrate. Let's just celebrate something. Okay, happy celebration. <laughs> that's that's all. That's all for today. <laughs> well, thank you for being on, Anna. 
Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. This is always fun. I feel like I should do more podcasts. They have so much fun on these. It's just yeah. like, I don't know. I feel like it's just such a great conversation always. Um, so I'm, I'm happy you had me. I appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure. Well, you heard it. If you want Anna on your podcast, you know where to find her. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to share all the insights with and tips and tricks on recruitment and how you can find your ideal candidate. <laughs> you've been listening to Efficiency on Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned about your ultimate potential, how to control your time, how to create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. Limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at Secret Weapon to Efficiency. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember, slow down to speed up.